Hey, this is Matthew's Table podcast channel. We wanted to thank you for joining us today. Hope this inspires you, builds your faith, and reminds you of who you are, but more importantly, whose you are. I heard in the pie video, all I heard was, you wasn't ready. <laughs> no, but uh, man, what an awesome, like my wife said, uh, we're doing Thanksgiving outreach at the Colonial in the Cadillac this year, where everyone will get a hot meal uh, made by Moonlight Barbecue. So if you could uh, give to that outreach, we would greatly appreciate it. If you've never been here, we have these connect cards by the boxes, by the back doors. Uh, you can put your name, phone number, email address, and someone will reach out to you. It's just our way to let you know we're glad you made it today. Um, if you have a prayer request, you can write it on the back, or we have a jar up here, and you can know our prayer team will be praying for you, and we love that uh, you have made it here this morning. Um, we wish we could hug you and shake hands, but unfortunately we can't, so our connect cards are a way just to say, hey, we're glad you made it today. Um, and we do offering a little different. If you would like to give to Matthew's table, we just have two boxes by the back door. You can place your tithes, our offering in there. Or you can text Matthew's table with no space in between to the number 73256. And I uh, just want to praise God again for the baptisms this morning. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to open it up with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that you're sitting on the throne in full control. We thank you for the three baptisms that represent death to life. In Christ's name, amen. amen. And this morning, uh, I know y'all heard moonlight, so y'all ready to go. But uh, <laughs> this, pause, this morning, I'm going to start out a little different by giving you just some random information, some random facts that I had to Google. Um, like, did you know that Nintendo trademarked the phrase, it's on like Donkey Kong, in 2010? Did you know the Lego Group is the world's most powerful brand? There are more Lego minifigures than there are people on the earth. Another random fact for you Star Wars fans. Did you know the original Star Wars premiered just on 32 screens across the U.S.? And I haven't seen one yet. <laughs> did you know although GPS is free for the world to use that it cost over two million dollars a day to operate and I know what some of you are thinking some of you are thinkers who question everything you're probably thinking why did I need to know that random information there are people in here, and I'm not saying anything is wrong with it, that question absolutely everything. My wife being number one. <laughs> question A, why did you go this way? Question B, why did you park right here? As if there was a perfect spot she had in mind. Question C, why are you driving so fast? And then question D, why are you driving so slow? 
If you have a wife like mine or a passenger like my wife, we need to pray and fast for you. <laughs> it seems like every vacation, if we drive 10 hours, me and my wife get in a knockdown drag out until I ask her, would you like to drive? And then, and then I'm driving good after I ask that question. <laughs> if, you are like pe if you like people that question everything, you're going to like where we land today in the book of Galatians. As you've been following along in our study verse by verse by verse through the book of Galatians, we presented some truths that today in our church may seem like the norm, but back then they wasn't taken as so normal. It was questioned. Everything was questioned. Like, did you know in 1555, two men, Nicholas Ridley and Hugh Lattimore, were burned at the stake for preaching justification in faith alone. They were burned at the stake for preaching justification in faith alone. Me personally, I've never understood why the term scripture alone, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, where the glory of God alone seemed radical. But if you look at church history, did you know people were martyred? People were burned. People were outcasted for preaching just Jesus. So I've been thinking all week, why do people have a hard time with just Jesus? Why do people have a hard time with Jesus plus nothing equals everything? Like Miss Lorinda said, what we do every Sunday, people get persecuted for. We can't take for granted our Bibles are outlawed in many places across the world. And right here in the book of Galatians, they're asking if it's just Jesus, if he's all we need, if he is everything, then why the law? If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Galatians chapter 3, verses 15 through 22. Let's read. It'll be on the screen if you don't have your Bible. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one knows it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterward does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by the promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. The question, why then the law? Paul's answer, it was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to, the, to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. No, an intermediary applies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin 
so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Amen. So the question being asked here, or the argument Paul knows is about to come from the people, Paul, is it the promise? Is it Christ alone? Is it faith alone? Or is it the law? And if it's the promise, then why have we been following the law? Why do the two seem like a contradiction? In our text today, there are two promises, two covenants at war. Like, is it grace alone, faith alone, or do we need to be circumcised? If you follow the Mosaic law, your argument would be it trumps Abraham's promise, with basically the difference being that Abraham's promise focuses on what God does for his people in saving them, And the Mosaic Covenant promotes human obedience. To Abraham's promise, God said, I will. Through Moses and the law, God said, thou shalt. The promise set forth a religion dependent upon God. The law set forth a religion dependent upon man. The promise centers on God's plan, God's grace, God's initiative, God's sovereignty, God's blessing. Whereas the law centers on man's duty, man's work, man's responsibility, man's behavior, and man's obedience. The promise just had to be believed. The law had to be obeyed. And in my head, I struggle to relate because, like, I love the term Christ alone Because I've tried to make it on my own a million times to find myself in the same situation. So I struggle to realize, like, what's the argument? I love Christ alone. But I've tried to play a judge in the courtroom and understand both sides. What if I had been circumcised and now you're telling me a bunch of people don't have to? What if I felt like I had been good? I've been following all the rules. Now you're letting in these other people who I think are crazy, and they didn't have to sacrifice animals, didn't have to obey rituals, and they didn't have to do what I did. What if I felt like I was good, and my team was good, and those people didn't need to be a part of it? The law makes it easy to separate who's in, who's out, who's speeding, Who's not? Who's right? And who's wrong? The law makes you feel like you accomplished something. I did a good job. Grace makes you feel in need of something. I'm dependent upon him. The law and the promise end up on opposite sides because one shows how big and mighty God is and the other one shows just how much we need him. The law will show you how much in need of Christ you truly are. And I'm guessing a whole lot of people just don't like that. A whole lot of people think, I can do it on my own. A whole lot of people think, let me try another plan. A whole lot of people think, I will do better next time. I will follow the rules. I will obey, or at least I will do better than them. Imagine this. Imagine on the way to church this morning, you're, you're on the bypass where the speed limit's 65. 
And you see a lot of people, they're going 65, but majority are going 80. So what do you do? You start going faster because you feel like the people going 80 are, are passing you by. So you start going about 73. And then at the perfect time, the state trooper pulls out, gets behind you, and you think he must be going to get those people going 80. To your surprise, he yells, pull over. And the people going 80 fly right by. To your disgust, he gives you a ticket for going 73, and you feel unfairly done. You explain to him, man, I wasn't the only one doing it. And you get even madder. You start getting angry when he says, enough with the excuses. Leave it up to the judge. Court day comes. You've been preparing. You got your argument ready. You're prepared to battle it out. You know so many people was going faster than you. You've done the state case study. You, you got them going 80 on your phone. The judge calls you up. Guilty? He asks two questions. Are you guilty or innocent? You start being your own lawyer, and you start going on and on about, hey, judge, other people were going faster. I wasn't going as fast, and I shouldn't have been the one pulled over. To your amazement, your jaw hits the floor when the judge ignores all that and said, I just got two questions. Are you guilty or are you innocent? And that's when you come back even stronger. Judge, I know I was in the wrong by going eight over, but so many people were going faster than me. They deserve the ticket more than I do. You leave heated when the judge looks you square in your eyes and says, you're guilty. You broke the law. You paid the fine. So when I ask myself the question, why would someone not like faith alone? Why would someone not like Jesus plus nothing equals everything? Why would someone not like Christ alone? What I've came to realize is faith alone is offensive because faith alone removes you out of the picture and places Christ in it. We all want justice when it's not us. We all want punishment when it's not us. We all like fairness until we, we realize what fairness truly is. Just like the person speeding, when we compare ourselves to someone going faster than us, we feel great about it. Because when it comes down to it, we can feel cleaner when we're around someone more dirty. We feel better when we're around someone sicker. We feel innocent when we're around the guilty. So that the Galatians wasn't saying they were rejecting faith in Christ. They were just saying the law mattered just as much. In their minds, it was faith in Christ plus follow the law and you're good. And Paul was saying, don't add anything to it, just faith in Christ Period. Verses 15 through 18, Paul is explaining, the law does not cancel the promise of God. They thought the law canceled it out. The human example he gives is like a will that someone wrote before they died. 
If you know what a will is, like let's just say in your will, you say, man, I want to leave all my money to my kids. Roger couldn't come back and say, we had a prayer meeting and what he really meant was to leave some to him also. That will would be done. It would be signed, sealed, and delivered. That will would be unchanging. In the same way that a will is unchanging in human terms, the promise that God gave to Abraham was also unchanging. The promise wasn't canceled out or changed because of circumstance or made void, as verse 17 said. It's simply, Christ was the promise, Christ is the promise, and Christ always will be the promise. From Genesis to Revelation, the whole Bible points to Jesus. The problem is when we don't read it as a, a whole story, we can pick up the law and put down Christ. We can read the book of James and think, work, 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 and forget that Christ has done the work for us. We can read the Old Testament and think, follow all the rules, this is heavy, and forget that Jesus followed it all for us. We can read about sacrifices and think, boy, that's a lot, and forget that Christ was the ultimate sacrifice. But because we know the end of the story, we can read it a little different. Like we, we can read where Adam failed, Moses failed, David failed, Paul failed, Peter failed. But we also see where Christ redeemed, Christ restored, Christ revived. One of the biggest mistakes we can make, and it sounds crazy as you read through the Bible as you think, let me try it again. Let me insert myself into the story because I would like to be the hero. Let me work. Let me perform. Let me do it. Let me do better. Let me try harder. We try to substitute me for Christ, we try to add so much to the gospel when it simply boils down to let him. You let him clean you up. You let him work it out. You let him make you new. And I would say you could let go and let God, but it's hard to say let God do something that he's already done. The price has already been paid. The debt has already been taken care of, and the exchange has already been made. That's the difference between a slave and a son, is the slave has the weight on his back and it's heavy, and the son has his, the weight on his father's back and it's light. The difference between a slave and a son is the difference between the promise and the law. That's the difference between God will and thou shalt. So why then the law? Why just faith alone? Paul's answering the question from their argument. He's built up the case and tore it down. I'm going to read verse 21 and verse 22 slowly. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if 
For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned, it put in handcuffs everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So was the law a waste of time? Certainly not. Was it, why was it followed for so long? And what was its purpose? The law was there and is there to show every sinner its need of a Savior. The law wasn't there to replace the promise. The law was the reminder you're in desperate need of the promise. In other words, by Martin Luther, the law discovers the disease the gospel is the remedy. Yeah. I'm going to repeat that. The law discovers the disease. The gospel gives the remedy. The law points to the sinner, the promise to the Savior. Romans 3.20, For by works of the law, no human being, not one of us in here, will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Without the bad news that we're sinners, how do we know we need the good news, the Savior? Without the law, how do you know you need grace? Without being hopeless, how do you know what hope is? Look at the parachute story by Ray Comfort. He says, two men are seated on a plane. A steward gives the first man to parachute, and he just instructs him. Man, put this parachute on it and improve your flight. Not understanding, he's just on his way to Destin. Not understanding how a parachute could impossibly improve his flight, the passenger is a little skeptical. He thinks, what in the world do I need a parachute on for? How will it improve my flight? Finally, he decides to see if the claim is true. After striping on the parachute, he notices the weight of it. He has difficulty sitting upright, consoling himself with the thought of, maybe this will improve my flight. He decides to give it a little time. But he's the only one wearing a parachute, so some of the other passengers begin to laugh at him, which only adds to his humiliation. Unable to stand it any longer, our friend slumps in his seat, unstraps the parachute, and throws it on the ground. He's angry in his heart because as far as he was concerned, the parachute didn't improve his flight one bit. Another stewardess gives a second man to parachute. But listen to how different this is. Listen to her instructions. She tells him, hey, put on this parachute because at any moment you'll be making an emergency exit out of the plane at 25,000 feet. Our second passenger he gratefully and quickly straps the parachute on. He doesn't notice the weight on his shoulders or that he can't sit upright. His mind is consumed to the thought of what would happen to him if he jumped without it. When other passengers mock and laugh at him, he thinks, you won't be laughing when we're falling to the ground. Now let's see the two different motives. The first man's motive for putting on the parachute was just to improve his flight, to make it better. As a result, he was humiliated by the passengers, mad he put on the parachute. He was angry against the person who gave it to him. 
As far as he was concerned, he would never put on a parachute again. The second man put on the parachute to escape the danger of the upcoming jump because he knew what would happen to him without the parachute. He had joy and peace in his heart. Knowing he was saved from certain death gave him the ability to withstand the mockery of his passengers. His attitude towards the person who gave him the parachute was one of thankfulness and gratitude. And that's the people that you need around you. You need people around you that says, you can't do it by yourself, you better put on the parachute. We need people around us to tell us the bad news and the good news. We need people around us to tell us the truth. We need people around us to tell us hell is a real place. I love doing outreach. I love being the most missional church in town. I love the fall fest and passing out school supplies. But one of the most single, loving things we can do is share the good news of Jesus Christ, that God saves sinners. Truth is, you need a Savior. Your kids need a Savior. Your parents need a Savior. Your grandparents need a Savior. And the best thing is, it's not you. You are not the parachute that can save them. The law will show you, not only couldn't you do it on your worst day, you couldn't do it on your best day. Adam, given one law in Genesis chapter 2. Adam, you can name all the animals. I've made you a helpmate. You can have everything, 99% of what I created. You're in perfect communion with me. Just don't do this one thing in Genesis chapter 2. Don't eat of this tree. How long did Adam last with one law? One chapter. From chapter 2, God gave him the law. Chapter 3, he did what he wasn't supposed to do. The bad news is you're a lawbreaker. The better news is he's a way maker. Yeah. Newsflash, you will fall without Jesus. You will fall without Jesus. All eggs in his basket or they're in the wrong basket. Anything else you're hoping for is fool's gold. Sin is always the problem. Jesus is always the answer. What we have in our societies today is not a savior problem. What we have is a worship problem. Our eyes are worshiping and craving for the wrong things. Like how can we sit through a five-hour football game and come to church for an hour and 15 minutes and look at our watches and think, is it time to go? How can we say, I don't have time in my Bible. When you, we, got, we devote 40 hours a week to our employers, 20 hours a week to nonsense, 60 hours a week to our phones, eight hours a week to Facebook, and we say, I don't have time to get in Scripture. We have a, a worship problem in seeing Jesus for who he truly is. Yeah. 
Romans 7, 7. If it had not been for the law, I would have not known sin. The law shows us our need for him in not a casual way. The law shows you your need for Christ in a desperate way. Like it isn't just Nick was a bad guy that turned out okay. It was Nick was a dead person that was made alive in Christ. When I look at my old life, I get sick. When I look at my old life, I get disgusted. When I look at my old life, I realize just how dead I was. How could I be, how could I love the person who would talk bad to his wife, cheat on his wife? How could I love the guy that would sell drugs in our community? It makes me sick to think about how dead I was. It's not just behavior modification. Christ makes us alive. That's why I think it's so hard. Just Jesus sounds too simple. How do you fix your marriage? Just Jesus. How do I get sober? Just Jesus. How do you make it to heaven? Jesus. How do you sin less? Jesus. Jesus is the answer and always will be the answer. And we're not talking about the watered-down version Jesus. We're talking about the promised Messiah Jesus, the great I am Jesus, the Lamb of God Jesus. We're not talking about the sissified Jesus. We're talking about the Almighty One, the Alpha, the Omega, the Bread of Life, the Beloved Son of God. We're not talking about your homeboy co-signer Jesus. We're talking about the chief cornerstone Jesus, the deliverer Jesus, the good shepherd, the great high priest, the king of kings Jesus. We're not talking about the Americanized church Jesus. We're talking about the light of the world Jesus, the Lord of all Jesus, the mighty one Jesus, the one who sets free Jesus, the son of man, creator over all, the door, the way, the sacrifice for your sins, Jesus. If you think we talk about Jesus too much, you should go to a different church. A church that doesn't preach Jesus is no church at all. If you show me how to be a better husband, but don't fix my heart, I won't be a better husband. I'm not saying rules are not good. Mom, I know I got a heart problem. <laughs> she was like, amen, you got a heart problem. <laughs> I'm not saying rules are not good. Laws, they help us stay on track. They help us stay in the bounds. And I'm not saying don't follow steps, but what I am saying is if those rules, laws, and steps don't have Jesus in them, then they're just a Band-Aid. The problem with the Band-Aid is it can't fix what's inside your heart. Our hearts are idol factories aiming to be pleased and fulfilled by the wrong things. The law will lead you to a mirror that shows you the problem. Looking into a mirror, guess what it cuts out? Excuses. Looking into a mirror 
will show you, you. There stands the guilty one. No excuses. There stands the guilty one. I brought a mirror today with me. One thing about the mirror is it doesn't lie. It shows me my receding hairline. As much as I tell my barber, do some magic, fix it up. He can't, it's receding. He's like, Nick, I can only do so much. It shows me my scar on my face. It shows me exactly who I am. See if you can see yourself in the mirror. Do you know what it shows you? Who you are. Flaws and all. The mirror doesn't lie. The law doesn't lie. The law and the mirror do the same exact things. They show you who you are. They show you your desires. The law exposes something that we can love. Look, we need a savior, but it exposes something we hate and that we can't do it ourselves. We all want the mirror and the law to lie. We want to pretend those wrinkles ain't there. We want to pretend that lust isn't in our heart. We want to pretend that we don't have a worship problem. We want to pretend that we're seeing Jesus just fine. But the law will show you just how much in need of Jesus you truly are. That's what Paul does in these verses. He spans over 2,000 years from Abraham to Moses to Christ. Jesus was and will always be plan A. Church, you would never outgrow the gospel. You would never not need to hear the gospel. We should never grow tired of the gospel. We don't grow tired of the Cowboys' plan, the Steelers' plan, but we grow tired if we're in church for an hour and 30 minutes. Because like I said, what we have is a worship problem. You want to know how to be a better husband? Get closer to Jesus. You want to know how to forgive? Get closer to Jesus. You want to know how to be set free? Believe in Jesus. Jesus always will be the answer. The 12, we could have 12 steps to this and 12 steps to that. But if Jesus ain't at the center of it, it's not going to work. If Jesus isn't at the center of your life, it's not going to work. If Jesus isn't the parachute you put on, you're going to fall and be more broken than you was in the first place. Worship team, you can come up. Wow. The real worship team, please stand up. <laughs> worship team, uh, yeah, come up. And the mirror will expose, for real. The mirror will expose just how much we need Jesus. The law will expose just how much we need Jesus. A lot of my friends have been going through some tough things this week. In less than a seven-day span, I had to preach at two funerals. I've been to four in less than a week. 
One for an 89-year-old and one for a 15-year-old. It's heartbreaking. My heart breaks for the families. But what comes to my mind when something happens like this? Why are we not more serious about the gospel? When I'm sitting with a family, you know what their question is? It isn't how much money do you think my mom had? It's Nick, do you think my mom, do you think my kid, do you think my brother went to be with Jesus? That's the question they ask every single time. It's not about the money we have. It's not about the possessions you can acquire. It's not about how popular you are. The real question when you pass is, did you have Jesus or better yet, did Jesus have you in the palm of his hands? Because one thing I know, if Nick's in his own hands, Nick seems to fall right out. If Nick's in God's hands, he has a firm grip. He has a firm grip on those that are his. So does Jesus have you? Does Jesus have you? It's not something you should guess at. It's not something you should just think about. Like, that's the most important question in your life. Am I a child of God? Am I his? Am I, did I go from death to life? Am I in the palm of his hands? Think about that. If your eternity is the most important question you can ask, then the gospel is the most important message we can preach. There's hope today. And I don't think God brought you here by accident. There is no accidents. Jesus has this whole thing under control. Jesus was in the beginning, was in the middle, and was in the end. If Jesus ain't there, we shouldn't want to be there. There's hope today. We preach Christ and the gospel for this very moment, for sinners to see their need of a Savior. If that's you, you're not alone. Nick needs Jesus 365 days, 24-7. Nick needs Jesus every hour, every minute, every day. And not because my salvation is lost, because I can start focusing on the wrong things. I can start gazing on things that simply don't matter. That's a worship problem. That's a heart problem. That I'm not satisfied in Christ. That, you know what Paul said, to live is Christ and to die is gain? He had a worship perspective of, man, if I live, I'm going to preach Christ. If I die, I'm going to be with him. I don't, shouldn't care so much about making it to moonlight. I shouldn't care so much about if the Cowboys are going to win today. What I should care about is if my brother is on his way to hell. What I should care about is preaching the gospel inside of the jail. What we should care about is preaching the gospel at the Cadillac, at the Colonial, in Orangeboro. 
We don't just show up to show up because it's Sunday. We show up to worship a risen Savior. We don't just show up because it's 1045 and leave. We show up to worship, to put our eyes back on Him. The bad news is the law leaves you drowning in an ocean of your sin. The better news is Jesus reaches out with his nail-pierced hands. God saved Nick Martin at my lowest, most desperate, most in need point. God didn't save me when I had it all together, when I was more qualified. God saved me in my most broken state. He didn't leave it for any confusion. It wasn't anything I'd done. It was all Him. I could only point to Jesus. My marriage could only point to Jesus when it was restored. It wasn't that I swooned my wife and bought her flowers. It was Nick is a different man today. It wasn't just, my wife was like, who is this guy? It wasn't just, oh, that's just the same old Nick. It was, who is this guy? He is different. Because like I said, my old self, the law exposed the promise Jesus accepted. Jesus runs to the mess each and every time. I didn't do it. Jesus did it. And what makes you think he couldn't do the same thing for you? Who said God couldn't change your life? Who said God couldn't turn your life around? Who said God couldn't set you free? When does your day one start? Why not today? If you're trusting in yourself, you ain't got on a parachute, you're going to fall. You're trusting in Jesus, he will catch you. Know this, I know there's a lot of people in here, and I did this for years. We have to fight the temptation to feel like we can save ourselves. You can't do it. You'll never be able to. You're not your own solution. You're not your own parachute. Jesus is your answer. Jesus is what you need. The law discovers the disease. Jesus provides the remedy. The bad news is you can't be good enough. The better news is he's more than enough. I'm no longer a slave to myself. I'm no longer a slave to my desires. I'm no longer a slave to drug addiction. I'm no longer a slave to porn addiction. I'm not a slave to cheating. I'm not a slave to lying. I'm not a slave to porn. I am a child of God. Hey, thanks for joining us today. A special thanks to those who sow into this ministry. If you'd like to partner with us financially, text all one word, Matthew's Table, to 73256. That's Matthew's Table to 73256. It's because of you this ministry is possible. If you like what you've heard, click the subscribe button and share it with your friends. 
You never know what God can do through your one act of obedience. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. God bless.